Last week, we looked at how the Old Testament is a mosaic in which Jesus can be found. We learned that we can encounter Christ through the text of the Hebrew Bible. But does the reverse happen? Do we see the Old Testament in the New Testament? If so, how? The bottom line? The New Testament isn't just a continuation of the Old Testament story. It actually sums up the Old Testament in a way that allows us to understand Christ in a much deeper way. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin. This episode is, essentially, part two of a series we started last week. You'll recall that we were looking at a passage from Matthew that was read in the Orthodox Church on the Sunday of the Holy Fathers. Here's a part of that passage to refresh your memory. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 5, 17-19. As I mentioned last week, this passage raises a number of questions about the Old Testament and its relationship to the New Testament. It also raises a number of questions about how we, as New Testament people, relate to and understand the Old Testament. One aspect I dwelt on last week was the idea of how we understand the Old Testament. I emphasize that grasping it was to ponder who it was about rather than what it was about. In other words, if we see the Old Testament as the story of creation, the patriarchs, as well as the creation and fall of Israel, we've missed the point, at least according to the New Testament authors, including Paul and the early church fathers. Instead of seeing it as a historical narrative, we have to learn to ask the question, who is the Old Testament about? And then, from the perspective of the cross, see Christ embedded in the text. This is what is meant by according to Scripture in Paul's letters and in our creed. In other words, the Old Testament is a mosaic. When all the pieces are put together properly, the image of Christ appears. We understand the cross and who Jesus is from our engagement, not with the historical Jesus walking around, which we can't do because he lived 2,000 years ago, but by turning to Scripture and encountering the living Christ there. This means that the Old Testament is no longer reduced to simply a historical document of some sort, but rather it's elevated to a living and breathing text where we encounter and are transformed by our Lord and Savior. What's really interesting is that this also works in reverse. 
In other words, we can see the Old Testament summed up in the New Testament. Theologically, St. Irenaeus said that Jesus recapitulates, or summarizes, the entirety of the Old Testament. Here's what he said. For we have shown that the Son of God did not then begin to exist, being eternally with the Father. But when he became incarnate and was made man, he recapitulated himself the long narration of human beings, furnishing us, in resume, with salvation, so that what we lost in Adam to be accorded to the image and likeness of God, that we might recover in Christ Jesus. This is against the Heresies, Book 3, 18.1. Father John Bear summarizes St. Irenaeus's idea of recapitulation in this way. In other words, recapitulation summarizes the whole case, presenting a restatement of the case or story in epitome, bringing together the whole argument in one conspectus so that while the particular details made little impact, the picture as a whole might be more forceful. That's the way to Nicaea, page 123. It's almost like the closing argument of a court case. Now that the jury has heard all the details of the case and have been presented with all the evidence, the prosecutor and the defense lawyers now make one final speech to sum up all the evidence. They try to make sense of what you've heard and seen in a way that supports their argument. The prosecutor, of course, is going to sum up everything in a way that you will find the defendant guilty. The defense lawyer, on the other hand, is going to recapitulate the court case in such a way as that you will find the defendant innocent. Another image to move beyond our court systems is to think of an academic or scientific paper. At the end of a paper, after you've read all the evidence and understand the experiment that they had conducted, the paper will have a final conclusion that sums up everything. The conclusion will state that the evidence either supported or contradicted the original thesis and explain why. What this means is that Christ is the closing argument or the conclusion in a paper. He brings it all together. Now, you may be thinking, in our court example, there were two lawyers making opposing arguments for and against someone's guilt, which means that the evidence may be understood in two or more ways. Of course, this is the same with the Old Testament. Christians understand it one way, Jews understand it in a different way. So if Jesus sums up the entirety of the Old Testament, how do we know we're seeing the evidence correctly? as the prosecutor may be seeing it, for example, rather than the defense lawyer. Well, this is where the cross comes in. Last week, we spoke briefly about the apostolic proclamation, or kerygma, that allows us to go back and see Christ in Scripture. This is the key that opens the door. From the apostolic proclamation of a crucified and risen Christ, we can understand the Old Testament properly and recapitulate it, or summarize it, in the correct way. This, of course, this proclamation of a crucified Messiah, is a matter of faith. We have to trust this message that the apostles have handed down to us. But it's precisely this message that allows us to then encounter Christ in the Old Testament. Okay, 
Hopefully you now have a better understanding of what is meant by Jesus recapitulating the Old Testament and what I mean when I say that we can see the Old Testament in the New Testament. But what does this actually look like? What exactly am I talking about? Well, the Gospel of Matthew demonstrates this very clearly. Jesus is born, and one of the first things to happen is that Herod slaughters the innocent babies in Bethlehem. This reminds us of Pharaoh slaughtering the male babies in the book of Exodus. Then in Matthew, Jesus and his family move to Egypt, and so, just like the Hebrews in Exodus, they now reside there. Then Jesus has his own Red Sea crossing as he comes out of Egypt, just as the Hebrews did, and cross through the Red Sea, although this time in Matthew the Red Sea is the River Jordan. Then, after crossing the symbolic Red Sea, Jesus goes into the desert and wanders there, just like the Hebrews wandered in the desert, though instead of 40 years, Jesus is there for 40 days. After he emerges out of the desert, Jesus goes on to give the Sermon on the Mount. This, in many ways, is like Moses giving the law to the Hebrews on Mount Sinai. And just as Moses, at the end of Deuteronomy, gave blessings and curses to the people before they entered the promised land, Jesus does the same. His blessings are the Beatitudes, and his curses are the woes to the Pharisees, which Matthew has placed at the end of his gospel. And finally, just as the Hebrews became the nation of Israel and then were exiled, Jesus too is exiled by dying on the cross and entering into death. The difference is that Jesus doesn't stay in exile. He rises from the dead, bestowing life on all in the graves. And to tie the New Testament and New Testament together, the exile of Israel actually ends with Jesus. His rising from the dead is the end of the exile that began when the Babylonians destroyed the temple in Jerusalem and forced the people to leave their homeland. So that's the Gospel of Matthew. But wait a minute, you might say, what about the Gospel of John? That one is very different than Matthew, Mark, or Luke. The narrative structure is so different, how does John work? Good question. Instead of summarizing a narrative, as Matthew did, John recapitulates or summarizes the Old Testament in a much more symbolic way. Instead of using narrative, John uses symbolism. And he does this by leaning heavily on the image of the tabernacle and temple. To illustrate, I'm going to start with John 1.14, which in the New Revised Standard Version is translated this way. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. However, that's not exactly what the Greek says. The word translated as lived is actually the word for tent. Yes, like a camping tent. If we were to translate this accurately, it would look a lot like David Bentley Hart's translation, which goes like this. And the Logos became flesh and pitched a tent among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the Father's only one, full of grace and truth. Now, this tent in the Old Testament is often translated as tabernacle. So we could say that The Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. As you will recall from Sunday school, the tabernacle was a large tent that the Israelites used as a temple. 
It's where they performed their sacrifices and where they kept the Ark of the Covenant. Eventually, under King Solomon, the tabernacle is replaced by a stone structure which becomes the temple, and that's destroyed by the Babylonians. What's key to know about the tabernacle, in our discussion of it in the Gospel of John, is that the tabernacle was the place of God's glory. It was how the presence of God existed among the Israelites. Here's the passage about that, just after the Israelites had completed making the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on each stage of their journey. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, before the eyes of all the house of Israel at each stage of their journey. That's Exodus 40, 34-38. What's important about the tabernacle was that it was a tent which could move with the Israelites. In other words, God's presence or dwelling was not a specific geographic location. It wasn't tied to one place. So when Solomon builds a permanent temple, this becomes a problem, and in part is why God allows the Babylonians to destroy the temple. But back to John. What John is saying by writing, and the Logos became flesh and pitched a tent among us, is that Jesus is the presence of God among us. Just as God was present among the Hebrews by dwelling in the tabernacle, God is now present among us by dwelling in Christ. Throughout the rest of the Gospel, John continues this theme by way of temple feasts. At the time of Jesus, there were pilgrim feasts in which people were expected to travel to Jerusalem and celebrate that feast in the temple. So there's a direct connection between the celebration of the feast and the temple. Those feasts mentioned in the Gospel of John are Passover, mentioned multiple times in chapter 2, 6, and 12, an unnamed feast, possibly Pentecost, mentioned in chapter 5, tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, mentioned in chapter 7, and the Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, mentioned in chapter 10. What's interesting about these feasts is that the symbolism of each feast is placed upon Jesus. For example, in chapter 7, the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrated, and the celebration of this feast included rituals with water and light. But as you read through the Gospel, Jesus says that He is the water of life. Those who come to Him will no longer thirst. And that He is the light of the world. Jesus has not only become the fulfillment of the feast, but it also reinforces the idea that God has tented among His people. Now, in Jesus, instead of a temple. So if Jesus is the presence of God, it no longer makes sense to go to the temple to be in the presence of God. Now it makes sense to approach Christ, which we can do through the text. And of course, John presents Jesus on the cross in a way that's slightly different than the other Gospels. In John's Gospel, it's very clear that Jesus is the Passover lamb that sacrificed on the Feast of Passover. My point, of course, is that in John's Gospel, Jesus also recapitulates the Old Testament, 
However, this time, instead of narratively, it's more symbolically, by placing images of the temple upon Jesus himself. So if Jesus recapitulates the Old Testament, or that the Old Testament can be found in the New, then it reinforces the idea that Jesus is already embedded in the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus is, according to Scripture. Our encounter with Christ is through the text of Scripture. Now, I still want to address the laws of the Old Testament and whether we as Christians have to follow them or not, but that'll have to wait until next week. Until then, God bless.